Let's be seated. So last week, Ben preached on the central point of this whole letter of James, that if we have a faith and we have absolutely nothing to show for it, then perhaps it is not a faith. Now, how much worse would it be, therefore, if you do have something to show for your faith, but what you have to show is horrible? Today, James looks at what we reveal about our faith by the way that we speak. So let's look at chapter 3, verse 1, together. And uh, this is a a dense passage, as Ben said. It's difficult. You'll want it open in front of you as we look at as many of these verses as we can. James 3, 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, this is a deeply unfunny verse, if you happen to be the one teaching on it. (laughs) This is, in fact, the very first verse that I ever preached on. I think the vicar at the time gave me this passage as a warning or a joke, saying, you know, you want to be a preacher, do you? Well, if you're going to do that, then you had better watch what you say. And by the time I got to seminary, I had evidently failed to take any of this to heart because I was voted the pastor most likely to lose his job by saying something stupid in a sermon which is why I became an Anglican. It's almost impossible to fire an Anglican minister. Now, you might say to me, yeah, but does it really matter? Tongues, they're not important, are they really? Speech, mouths, do they really matter? I mean, it is just words. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Does it really matter how we speak? James says to us today, let us look a few steps ahead and see where this goes. Yes, he says, a tongue is a very little thing, but it can have an absolutely enormous influence on the world around you. Two examples here of this very general point. Verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. A small thing has a big influence. Now, I asked Bridget this week, about this, because she is a horse person. I said to her, how big is a bit compared to, say, for example, a horse? And she said, well, very small. I said, how small? She said, well, a bit is about the same width as a horse's face, and no bigger than that. And uh, then she even furnished me with a bit. Here it is, because she's a proper horse person. You can see it. Look at that on the lens. You see it there. This is an actual bit that goes inside of a horse's mouth. This tiny bit in the middle is the bit that controls the horse. This is the steering mechanism of a horse. And, you know, a horse is an absolutely enormous thing. If we were still meeting outside at 11 o'clock, she was going to bring the horse as well, and that would be really quite impactful. But we didn't think uh, that we could get a mask onto its face to bring it in the building. (laughs) Horses are huge. Their faces are actually quite narrow and... uh, This is all it takes to control the whole animal. Well, it's the point that James is making. A tiny thing can have a huge impact and control something enormous like a horse. Now, why use one illustration when two would do? Not a horse person, okay, maybe you're more of an engineer, more horsepower than horses themselves. So he says, look, here's a different example. Look at ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. 
Now, you are doubtless aware that Ladage and Stocko, in their leading publications on commercial and military ship design, describe for us the optimal ratio of a ship's rudder to the hull. And this was a subject I was a little bit disappointed and surprised to discover last night. It is not quite as widely considered to be interesting as I thought it was. I'll give you the gist. Rudders are small. A good rudder is just 0.015% of the size of a ship's hull, which is absolutely nothing at all. And if math is not your thing or engineering, here's an image for you. The rudder on the Titanic was smaller than the flag, or at least according to the Lego model of it that I saw the other day. <laughs> now, the tongue might just seem like a very insignificant thing to you, but, but it can do an awful lot, like that little bit inside of a horse's mouth, like the rudder on an enormous ship. It is tiny, but it does a lot. It reveals a lot, and it does a lot. It reveals an awful lot about your faith, and it does an awful lot with and to your faith. Now, that's just a neutral example. In fact, it's two neutral examples, just to establish the general point that small things can have a large impact. And now James kicks this up a notch, and he moves from the neutral to the more serious, and he says, what if your tongue gets out of control? What if you're just running your mouth everywhere? And it's not just a neutral statement that little things can have a large impact, but what if this little thing is, in fact, doing damage? James says in verse 5, how great a forest fire is set ablaze by such a small fire. Or how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Uh, we all know, don't we, that a tiny spark can just devastate a forest. It can get out of control. It can ruin a county. Even a whole country can be destroyed. And you remember those images from Australia last year where the whole continent was burning and you could see it from space. If you have a news app, you may have seen Colorado this weekend in the same position. And we know that one little cigarette or one little firework or one little electrical wire can cause chaos and cause death on a, on a countrywide scale. James says, you've seen the images on your screens. Well, I mean, he hadn't. He didn't have one, but... I'm applying it. You've seen the images on your screens. You've seen the damage a spark can do. Well, a tongue is like that. The tongue can do disproportionate damage, grossly out of proportion with its size. And sometimes the things that we say, like a forest fire, they get out of control. They gain a life of their own, and they spread, and the damage begets just more damage. And that is the world that we live in. And James said this, as I just said before screens existed, but we have screens now. James made these remarks before the digital age. Social media, do you think it's made it better or worse? Yeah, thank you very much. You're right, Grace. Now, uh, you can go on just about the most innocent and boring of websites in the world, and you can scroll down to the comment section below, and within three or four comments, two blokes will be calling for each other's heads um, over such incredibly controversial and divisive things as how to draw the letter X. Because there's so many different ways to do it, if you think about it. Um, America is bitterly divided right now about just about the most controversial subject we've ever dealt with, and that is whether it's ever okay to peel a chicken nugget. Uh, <laughs> 53 to 47. 
percent. Dispute this very strongly. Now, I read a post on Friday night uh, on a forum for crockpots, which is just like such a, a pastor's thing to do on a Friday night. Like, how to tell that your life is completely over. Um, crockpot forum. Um, you can see, can't you, why Kat absolutely loves me, you know, all my research on rudders and crockpots. I'm practically a Renaissance man, I like to think. So the crockpot discussion that began somewhat innocently on the merits and the demerits of using pickled uh, garlic ended with these words, and I quote you, I'm done. 95% of you are amazing, kind-hearted, beautiful people who I would love to have sitting at my dinner table, presumably eating some sort of a stew. The other 5% of you, though, grow the hell up or get the hell out. Pretty... That escalated fast, didn't it? You know, what a terrible situation this is. It's not unique. It's practically universal. There's a wonderful interview on the BBC, and I suggest you search for it. And it's an interview half an hour long with the moderator of an online group. And you will never meet a more gentle, humble, kind, lovely man. And just to emphasize how nice this man is, he wrote a post on the forum about knitting, asking people to be nice. And he even wrote his post in the form of a poem themed about knitting. It doesn't get any more gentle than that, unless like a kitten had written this post. You couldn't make it nicer. The response to this got so out of control, so angry, that he received calls to bankrupt and boycott his business, and he even received death threats at his house. His address was published online, and it got out of control. And he said that cancel culture has ruined my life. And he finished with these words, whoever saw this coming. And I, I didn't want to upset him by posting on this forum, but the answer is James. James saw it coming a mile off. We are now living in 2020 the nightmare scenario that James depicts. A world where crockpots and knitting circles and chicken nuggets have become a gateway for hate speech. And James says to us, let's take this further. We're only halfway through this sermon, only halfway through this idea. Let's go even further still. Let's ask ourselves, what happens to a world when it lives like this? Three things, he says, three theological reflections or faith reflections. We hurt ourselves, we hurt others, we hurt God. Still in verse 6. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. Every aspect of your self can be ruined by your tongue. And having ruined yourself, it starts to spread to others. Verse 9, with it, our tongues, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Now, a curse is not just uh, bad language. It's not just harsh language. It's a loaded term theologically. And Douglas Moo, the scholar, says this. To curse someone is not just to swear at them. It is to desire that they be cut off from God and experience eternal punishment. A curse is like a kind of eternal death threat, whereby you, you desire the person you're cursing to go to hell. And here is the third point. That curse 
hurts God. See, do the unpacking. All people are made in the image of God. So when you curse a person made in the image of God, you start to hurt the God of the image. And what is God's chief desire for those that bear his image? Like, what does he want for you? He wants to save you. He wants to redeem you. A curse is like asking God to send a person to the very hell that his entire purpose is to save you from. And he does this. God, God's mission is to snatch us from hell. And he achieves this mission at enormous, incalculable, in fact, personal cost to himself on the cross. And a curse is like saying to God, could you come up with a different plan? Could you be the kind of God that condemns people instead of the kind of God that saves people? And that sounds an awful lot like the other guy, doesn't it? It's inviting God to do something satanic. A curse is like walking up to Jesus on the cross when he's actually on it, as if you had a time machine and you could go and stand right there on the hill in front of Jesus and you could go up to him as he bleeds out and say to him, ah, silly, I've got a way better plan than you. What are you doing? Come on, let's get him instead. That's what a curse is. Now, no one in the right mind is going to do that. If I gave you a time machine, would you go up to Jesus and mock him on the cross? No, I hope not at least. But that's what a curse is. So if you curse, what does it reveal about your faith? Words matter. See how far this got in just a few verses? And now James expands upon it, verse 10. He goes further still. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Actually, to do the Greek, come, come out blessing and cursing. It's like a vomit. They just come out from, from deep within. It would be a more direct translation. Speech manifests and reveals something inside. And James says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Don't do it. Or, or actually, you can't do it. You can't bless and curse. Not genuinely. You can't give someone a genuine blessing and a genuine cursing from the same mouth. You can't do this any more than you can get clean water and dirty water from the same source. Four quick illustrations of this point, because why use one when four would do? Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? The implication of the grammar is no. Uh, you can't say, well, parts of this are drinkable, if I gave you a glass of water that was half filthy and half clean, would you go, oh, okay, well, I'll just drink the nice parts? No. Verse 12, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? No, of course not. It's a fig tree. Can a grapevine produce figs? No, neither. Can a salt pond yield fresh water? So if you go around speaking like this, just bagging people out, not the slip-ups that we all make, verse 2, we all stumble. Even the preachers, verse 1, will sometimes get this wrong. But if this is your entire course of life, verse 6, is who you are, something is wrong. Like, do we even need to be told this? Seemingly so. If you're in church, and you're on your knees, and then you're waving your hand in the air, and you're praising God, and you're serving the coffee, and you're welcoming people in, and you're teaching a study, and you're singing in the choir, and you're working with one of our mission partners, and you are literally winning church. Congratulations, top member is you. 
And the moment you think that no one's looking, out comes the bile, the filth and the cursing and the bitterness and the lies and the grumbling and the rage. Your faith is not working. It's broken. Worse still, verse 8, no human being can ever make this any better. No human being, verse 8, can tame the tongue. You cannot fix this. You cannot do the thing that James is calling you to do. But this is a sermon and there's still some hope. And here's the good news at last. James never says that the tongue cannot be tamed. He just says you can't do it. So if you find yourself saying things that you don't like, and you try to tone it down a bit, but you can't fix it properly, and you find that you just can't stop, and you have a few days, and then the grumbling is back, and a few days, and then the swearing is back, and a few days, and then the, the tearing down is back, here is some good news for you. Here's some really good news for you. And, and you probably do find this, because you're a human. In the next part of chapter 3, just after the little break there you see in the text with the heading, and we don't have time to cover it all, James just says very simply there are two forces at work in this world, two spiritual things going on, earthly, unspiritual, even demonic power, that group together, and this manifests itself in selfish ambition, disorder, and boasting and lies. People cannot help but speak the dark power that influences them, but, verse 17, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. Just, just look at this little litany here. Then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Just imagine any of that on an internet forum. Wouldn't that be lovely? <laughs> God can tame your tongue. God can change you. And when God does tame your tongue, the effect is going to be absolutely enormous. And he describes here, of a tamed tongue, verse 18, a harvest of righteousness. This is wholly disproportionate to the size of what was sown. Not a little potted plant here. Not, not like a, a window cactus or something like that. This is a whole farm of food that comes. Little sparks, they cause fire. Little seeds, they cause harvests. God is saying that when he goes to work in you and it manifests through your tongue, just imagine the good that that can do. And with all of the discord that we've got in our world right now, you think politics is bad, read a forum about crock pots, and you'll weep for the nation. God is calling us to be different. And he never calls us without equipping us. He never says, go and do this impossible thing. And good luck. See you later. He equips us to do the very thing that he calls us to do. God is calling us to manifest a working faith through the way that we speak to a broken world. So let's conclude by praying out loud this morning for peace. Loving Father, we pray that you would bless us and that you would protect us and that you would give to us a great peace, a transformation, God. We pray, God, that you would be very close to us, 
and filling us with your Holy Spirit, you would transform our mouths to build up and to edify and to proclaim and to preach grace to this nation and indeed to the world. In the majestic name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.